This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Today is Thursday, the 26th of March. This is the Informer Daily, and I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today, your COVID-19 update. We talked to Cameron from Rainbow Rights and Advocacy about people living with disabilities in quarantine. We speak with Fenella, a trauma therapist, to hear about things you can do to ease the strain of physical distancing. And part two of our continuing interview with Sophie McNeil about her new book, We Can't Say We Didn't Know, Dispatches from the Age of Impunity. But first, this update from Dee Mason. This is Dee Mason with the Joy 94.9 COVID-19 update for the 26th of March. New restrictions came into effect at midnight, leading to the closure of beauty salons, amusement parks, museums, libraries, cinemas, casinos and nightclubs. Restrictions on people gathering were also put in place, meaning outdoor boot camps are limited to 10 people and weddings are limited to five. Less than 24 hours after these new rules came into place, some have already been relaxed. The limits on people attending funerals will be at the discretion of the states, so more than 10 people may be able to attend and haircuts will no longer be limited to 30 minutes. People made unemployed by business closures may need to wait more than two weeks before they receive government assistance. The first day of MyGov's new intent-to-claim system saw over 280,000 applications by 2.30 yesterday afternoon. Expecting delays, the government has asked businesses to be flexible with people who owe them money. Opposition leader Anthony Albanese has called for an eviction moratorium similar to those already in place in the UK and New Zealand. He has also said that governments and the private sector need to have compassion when it comes to utility bills. Queensland closed its border overnight and is now only open to freight and essential travel. Those living on the border who need to commute across it on a regular basis will be able to apply for a Queensland entry pass through the Queensland Government's website. Queensland schools will be student-free from next week with changes coming into effect on Monday. Students whose parents are essential workers will still be able to go to school. All other students will begin learning from home. Daycare centres and after-school care will continue. South Australia will also become student-free from April 4. And following in the footsteps of Queensland and South Australia, Western Australia has also announced today that they will be closing schools one week early on April 3rd. Tasmanian Premier Peter Goodwin has told all tourists in Tasmania to go home. People staying in hotels, hostels and campsites have until midnight on Sunday to vacate. Tasmania will also more than double its COVID-19 stimulus package to $1 billion. The Artania cruise ship, which is currently sitting off the coast of Fremantle, has had seven passengers test positive for COVID-19. The ship has no Australian passengers or crew. Western Australian authorities have said that only those with a life-threatening medical emergency will be allowed off the boat. 
The West Australian government has requested federal assistance from the Navy and use of Defence Force facilities to treat seriously ill passengers. Alcohol restrictions have been put in place in WA to prevent panic buying and stop excess drinking. Daily limits restrict purchase to three bottles of wine, one carton of beer, one litre of spirits or one litre of fortified wine. People can buy across two of these categories. Victoria has recorded its first COVID-19 deaths overnight with Victoria's Chief Medical Officer, Brett Sutton, confirming that two men in their 70s died from the disease. A 68-year-old Queensland man has also died, bringing the death toll to 11. And for a little bit of light relief, to the United States now, where water authorities are pleading with people to stop flushing wet wipes and even T-shirts down the toilet as they can clog up sewers and create fatbergs that are difficult to remove. So don't flush a wet wipes, kids. Who needs a backed-up sewer on top of everything else? If you suspect you have COVID-19, contact the dedicated hotline at 1800 675 398. For additional information, call the Coronavirus Health Information Line on 1800 020 080. You're listening to the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Quarantine is affecting all of us, but it's affecting many vulnerable groups of people a lot more. People living with disabilities are facing additional challenges with the physical distancing we're doing, cutting of support workers, and panic buying at the shops. Rainbow Rights and Advocacy is a group dedicated toward activism for people living with intellectual disabilities within the LGBTQIA community, and the Informer Daily spoke with one of their members, Cameron Bloomfield, to find out more. Can you tell me if there are any ways in which people living with intellectual disabilities are being affected by coronavirus that, um, that the wider public may not be aware of? Yeah, um, members of our group, Rainbow Rights, can't meet fortnightly as we usually do or they can't meet just socially. People, uh, people in our group may not have mobile phones or access to a computer to communicate with others. They also are not able to go out with their support workers to do things, you know, because um, my partner, for example, my partner um, was told that his support has been cut off because of the coronavirus. Uh, we are not able to meet the uh, deadlines for these, um, able to meet the deadlines for things we are supposed to do in grants that keep the group running. And also other stuff like um, I've known that people within the uh, LGBTIQ community with people with disability have trouble going out in the supermarket or they're running out of toilet paper when you know when everyone else is going out and buy, buying up crazy. You know um, we're only on disability pension, so it makes it hard to go down every day to get supplies. Um, especially at the moment when they're limiting you to a couple of items per thing in certain parts of the shelves. Um, and some people, you know, do like fortnightly shops to last them a fortnight, not like trying to get, go down every day to get things. So you've all been affected 
quite a lot by on multiple angles because um, I imagine the uh, social isolation makes it very difficult, and um, that's also just added to the list of reasons why people shouldn't uh, stockpile or buy out uh, items in supermarkets. Yes, yes, yeah, you know, it does make it hard, you know. Um, and then the other thing is like, you know, like I know the supermarkets are doing the right thing by having like um, having an hour in the morning to for people with um, disabilities uh, to go there and get supplies. But the problem is that some people with disabilities in the LGBTQ community need a support worker to go with them. And at that time in the morning, uh, they don't have a support worker to actually go with them to the supermarket. So they miss out and then they've got to run the risk of going when everyone else goes and not getting what they need to get for their health. I've also heard, because I know some people with uh, disabilities who say that their support workers are no longer coming and seeing them in person, that they're just being restricted to phone calls, Skype calls, that uh, that type of thing. Um, it, it seems a little bit weird because the government said that they were going to keep essential services open and you would think that a support worker for somebody who needs it for whatever reason is an essential service. So how badly is this affecting people living with disabilities? It's affecting, affecting people really uh, really badly because there are people that in, in, our, in our group, in the Roman Rights Group, uh, that need a support worker to go with them down the street. Um, and being uh, being isolated from the community because of, uh, say, for example, an organisation who supports them wants to protect their staff and you know, also try and protect people with disabilities. But it doesn't help when, in the long run, people with disabilities are getting affected because they, they can't just... You know, some people can't just go down the street. You know, they need assistance to go down the street and get things... Uh, you know, they they don't, you know, so it is affecting us really badly. Um, like my partner was told the other day who has, his name's Jack and he has um, cerebral palsy and intellectual disability and he was called up last night said that his outreach has been cancelled until further notice, which makes it hard because he's always at home and that once a week they normally go out down the street, do things, you know, maybe go for a walk or, you know, um, go to the movies or you know stuff like that. You know st- stuff that other people, other people in the community take for granted. Um, yeah, so yeah, other other people you know yeah, take take for granted for um, you know where they can easily get around. They can go down the street. They can um, do all the stuff that they need to do. You know um, where some people need assistance for, say for example, paying their bills or you know, doing a bit of shopping for their houses. You know, um, I had I had uh, my outreach worker last week who came up to my my place last week, and um, he was telling he had other clients that didn't even have any toilet paper. They were using tissues or something, um, or they were very low on toilet paper, and they couldn't get any because everyone else is stockpiling. And you know, to try and get you know, um, no one sort of thinks about about you know people who can't do uh, 
everything by themselves, who needs extra support in the um, within the community. So, what are some of the things that you think uh, people can do to help support people living with disabilities? Should we come together as communities? Should we be asking the government to do certain things? What do you think should happen? I I think that we should like we should come together as a community, you know, to help try and support people with disabilities, you know, or intellectual disabilities. Um, any type of disability uh, within the community because, you know, not everyone can get out to the supermarket or they might not have the money at the time to go to the supermarket to get what they need to get. You know, we need to work as a community, not for people to be thinking about themselves. People got to think about other people who are less fortunate than themselves. You know, there are a lot of people losing jobs in that. Yeah, I understand that. But, you know, people with disabilities can't just rock up down the street and get things what they want to get. Or And with all the stuff going on the news, they, like I have an intellectual disability myself. I'm listening to the news, but it is confusing and it gets, you know, all jumbled up and it, it sometimes it doesn't make sense because they use all jargon and long words. Is there anything else that's vitally important that youth would like to uh, mention before we wrap up? Yeah, um, you know, just try, as I, as I said, you know, try and help the the less fortunate people. If you if you don't know anyone to help, uh, uh, you know, maybe um, I'll, I can give you the Roma Rights email address, and it's Roma Rights and Advocacy at Gmail dot com. You can contact you can contact us, and if you want to. You know, if you want to help out someone by uh, maybe donating some food or donating toilet paper, you know, and it, and I can make sure it gets to the right person or I can contact you if you leave your number in, in, the, in our email, you know. Um, but, yeah, we're just going to work as a community, you know, not think about ourselves. We're Australians, you know. We think, we, we think about everyone else when it comes to everything else in crisis, like bushfires, floods and everything. But since the coronavirus come around... They, um, you know, everyone starts to think about themselves and not the less fortunate people. Cameron Bloomfield from Rainbow Rights and Advocacy speaking with Nicholas Kamenya-Sandry. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We're living with high levels of stress now, and compassion and self-care is really important. I spoke to Fenella, a trauma therapist, about how to cope and how breathing exercises can help you. Okay, so what I'll do is I'll give you a bit of a neuroscience background on what breathing does to our bodies. So the breathing that we're talking about is diaphragmatic breathing or belly breathing. Generally, you can do that in a pattern of four breaths in, four breaths held and four breaths out or you can do four by four by four by four so it doesn't really matter which you choose the most important part is that you're breathing deep into your diaphragm and your belly and that you're holding it for the four seconds they're they're sort of the, the two key parts so diaphragmatic breathing engages our vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is it's something that wanders through our body it wraps around all of our organs so when you're taking your big belly breaths and you're holding you're effectively hugging or squishing your organs and you're activating your relaxation response 
So the vagus nerve is responsible for all of that. So when you're when you're focusing on your breathing and you're doing your big deep belly breaths, you're you're effectively hugging everything and and that then slows everything down. The best way to do that um, and for it to become really effective is for it to be a daily practice. Mm-hmm. And from a neuroscience perspective, you should aim to do breathing exercises three times a day for five minutes each. And to make actual brain changes, they say that you need to do it for 15 weeks. And obviously, we all have the time to do that at the moment. Um, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. it looks like we're going to be in this for the long run. So mm. it's now is a good time to start a daily practice. <laughs> So we're all generally physically isolated. It's so stressful and so weird. And with your your work in trauma, you know, what sort of advice can you give people? Or there's a there's a few things that we need to acknowledge. You know, one is that collectively we're all going through this trauma, but we're also grieving. We're grieving for the loss of life as we knew it. We're grieving for you know, all the plans that we might have had, you know, people who, you know, I've got a birthday coming up and so I can't really do much for that. I can have a little party at home. But, yep. you know, it's all, all these things that all of a sudden aren't happening anymore and, and, you know, life as we know it has changed dramatically in the space of a few weeks. So I think, mm. you know, we need to acknowledge the fact that what we're going through is a traumatic event and that brings up grief in all of us. And and the other thing is that if we don't allow ourselves to stop and actually feel those feelings and, you know, give yourself the space and time to feel, then it builds up and it builds up and it's like, you know, it's kind of like a, a pressure cooker scenario where if you don't let the pressure out, yeah. eventually, you know, your top is going to blow and that, you know, that can happen it can come out in really inappropriate ways, you know, and we've seen people, um, I think, in shopping centres and things like that, just losing their cool and, and abusing mm. people. And I think, you know, that's generally a stress response. And, I, you know, I understand that feelings can be really overwhelming, but mm-hmm. I think a key thing is to know that, you know, our feelings will end. They're not going to continue forever. And if you let those feelings out and you do a bit of processing, then you're reducing that pressure and, you know, your body is able to sort of cope a little bit better. So I mm. think, you know, they're really important things to do. And, and, you know, we can check in with ourselves daily and ask ourselves how, how we're feeling emotionally and physically. We need to remember that we've got to go easy on ourselves because mm-hmm. you know, none of us have been through this before. This is literally a once in a lifetime sort of thing and or not even a lifetime. You know, there's people who have lived that have never been through this, but we're literally making it up as we go along. So that's okay. What what you do today might not necessarily be what you do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, our government is changing things daily. So things that we can do today, we might not be allowed to do tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know, just, I think, you know, just try different things, see what works for you and, and be really compassionate to yourself because I think a lot of people are understandably stressed and upset and frustrated, but they're also sort of not saying, hey, well, that's okay. I've never been through this before and no one else has ever been through this before. So let's just sit with that and, and be okay with that. That's Vanilla speaking with me earlier today. She's been composing a list of resources and advice that's on her website, which is www.between, and then a hyphen, the, and then a hyphen, 
lines.com.au and there's a link on the informer daily site which is at joy.org.au slash the informer this is the informer daily on joy 94.9 and across australia on the community radio network We're continuing with the second part of my interview with Sophie McNeil about her new book, We Can't Say We Didn't Know, Dispatches from the Age of Impunity. We spoke earlier this month, and some of the context has changed a little bit. Um, But she starts by talking about how people can help on an individual level when others aren't acting to help. In a way, you can't almost blame our politicians for not acting on this stuff or talking about it because there's no sign from the electorate that we care about it. Mm. You know, we had more people like... I, I've been living in Sydney the last few years and, you know, more people protesting on the streets about what times the pub, what time the pub closes yeah. than about anything that happened in Syria, you know, yeah. or Yemen or any of these Or places. Menace Island or Nauru. Exactly, exactly. So what are our priorities and how do we want to show our politicians that we want them to lead on this, that we do care? Because, I mean, I... I get, I'm in despair when I see that I covered these stories and, you know, no one even talked about them in Australia. I just love us to be a more caring society, you know, um, and we can all make a difference. You know, I, I've, I've seen it in my work, how much difference one brave person can make and, you know, why not you? So if you're an everyday person, how do you start making a difference? What are some things that you've seen that work? Look, I one example um, I've mentioned to people is we've got a lot of new uh, recently arrived refugees from Syria and Iraq mm-hmm. in Australia. And I had one Syrian friend in Adelaide who was really struggling. You know, you lose everything when you yep. when you come to a country like ours, having left Syria, everything you've ever known. And he was trying to rebuild his life. He's got two two young kids, and he couldn't get a job. And it was he felt so ashamed because you know here he was in a new country family members back home who desperately needed a bit of help him to send them money and he couldn't get a job and so I just put on my Facebook look hey who do I know in Adelaide who could who could give my mate a job yeah and you know my husband's cousin's friend <laughs> was like yeah you know I can help him out and it changed his life that job it helped him learn English it gave him gave him a reason to live yeah you know he and give him hope hope yeah and it it just meant everything and like I've seen that kind of situation repeated so many times with so many different asylum seekers that I've met, how much difference one real caring person can make. So there, there are a lot of ways that we can influence change. I mean, I, I've done so much work with groups like Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International over the years. Brilliant stuff, you know. They all mm-hmm. have local chapters and you, you can learn about what's going on and find out how you can help from here. Part of the proceeds of my book are going to Medicines Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders, an amazing NGO that I saw save lives all over the region when I was there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they don't just take doctors and nurses. You can volunteer as an engineer or as a plumber to work with MSF as they go and build hospitals around the world, things like that. So, yeah. you know, there, there are so many ways we can make a difference. Call, you know, go book a meeting with your local member and say, hey, you know, when was the last time you talked about our levels of foreign aid? They're yeah. at historic low levels right now. And Australia has had 28 years of un uninterrupted economic growth yes it looks like we might face our first recession this year but still like you know we're right up there like in the top 
um, countries for standard of living. So yes. we, we should be giving more. We and have it's the biggest shameful. houses in the world. Exactly. It's shameful that we don't give more foreign aid. So there are ways. It's just, and I know it feels like, oh my God, how could I make a difference? But if you just sit down and think about it, you actually can. You know, the climate emergency, there's so many ways that people can help lead in their community, in their school, in their workplace. Mm-hmm. So I think that there are ways. It's just sometimes... It's a bit scary, you know? That's why I say we need courage, not hope, in today's world. I think sometimes that because Australia has had 28 years of consistent economic growth, that because people haven't necessarily seen hard times in their own lives or with their family when, you know, it's really tough. Um, I'm from the U.S. Every six or seven years, there's a couple of years of recession. So, you know, we've seen it. We've seen people who are otherwise really successful being made redundant with in the US, no entitlements. And then they're out of a job. Mm. But that doesn't happen here. So, you know, if people don't see that. No, I think we, we don't realize how lucky we are. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it's easier not to think about these things, but it will, it will come back, you know, to bite us at some stage if we don't help create a more caring, mm. humane world. And, you know, one incident in the book um, that I kind of take you inside of is what it was like to be on a rescue boat in the middle of the Mediterranean with these Italian soldiers who saved 180,000 lives one year, mm-hmm. plucking people from the middle of the ocean, Eritreans fleeing a horrific regime, Syrians, Afghanis. And I, um, I spoke to these Italian soldiers and they'd served in like Iraq and Timor and they'd you know, been on a lot of missions. And they all said this was their favorite mission by far. Mm-hmm. And they all said, look, we, we remember you know like what happened to Italy and how we all had to flee and yeah now you know people are coming to us but our grandparents left after the second world war you know we and we have that memory and that's why we want to help and sometimes I think yeah it is hard for a country like Australia that you know hasn't been occupied um you know I mean it it is a country that was illegally invaded and um sovereignty was never ceded and we all know about um that horrific past and it's not acknowledged enough but for many um people non-indigenous australians you know they it's hard to imagine that that feeling of you know being occupied or having to flee your home or you know like literally having nothing starting from total scratch and so hopefully through this book and like actually meeting people not just kind of random faces on the news you know Mm -hmm. like hordes of refugees streaming past and you just think it looks so anonymous real live people who i know you know i stay in touch with them um and they're here in this book and they're, they're all just Heroes, You know, I'm hoping this book, even though it talks about difficult things, it's ultimately very inspirational because it shows you the power of, of, of people, ordinary people, to do extraordinary things. Hmm. That was Sophie McNeil speaking to me earlier this month. Her new book, We Can't Say We Didn't Know, Dispatches from the Age of Impunity, is out now. That's it from the Informer Daily today. Big thanks to Dee Mason, Emily Johnson, Nicholas Kamenu-Sandry, Rachel Tyler-Jones, Jordan Johnstone, the fine folks at the Community Radio Network, and of course to you for listening. We'd love to hear what you think. Email us, theinformer at joy.org.au. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Mahalo.
The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.